magnets. Oh, really? And paint, basically, yeah. So, so it's wood? Yeah. No way. All the ice cream was, pieces are wood. Well, it's plastic. The, the bin is plastic, but mm. everything else is wood. I wanted to do a little game before we got into the episode, if you're down. Sure. I mean, as long as I don't have to, like, sing or do charades or something like that. Yeah. So you will have to. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of in relation to what we're going to be talking about today, I wanted to do this challenge for you. I'm going to play a snippet of a of a few video game songs, themes, and see if you can recognize them. Oh, my gosh. I'm not as knowledgeable on these things as you and Andrew are. I have number one. You ready? Yes. This one's pretty easy. I think you'll get this immediately. Tony Hawk. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> See, it's not that hard, right? It's pretty easy. I guess you, if you play songs that games that we played heavily as children, then yeah. That's the the relation between all of them is that these are all from games that you for sure have played at some point, and I was super into as a kid. So okay, okay, you ready for the next one? This is number two. Tomb Raider. Oh dang, <laughs> you got that one super one fast. Note. I'm glad you're not asking me, like, which one, like, Tony Hawk 2 or whatever. Oh, no. No, these are pretty easy. Throw a little more challenging one at you, then. Oh, no. All right. Number three. Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, it takes me back. Yeah, it does. I actually um, got a Game Boy emulator for my phone. I, oh, like, did you? I found it somewhere. I mean, I, I want to say it was like some like Instagram reel or something like that, where it was like, you know, things you didn't know that are free kind of thing. And so that was one of them. And I was like, okay, so I downloaded it. And then I found, I was like, what game should I, should I test this on? Pokemon Yellow. Oh, Yellow, of course. Classic. <laughs> yep. How did Pokemon Yellow hold up, by the way? Was it still fun? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the graphics obviously are very outdated, <laughs> but... All right, last one. Save the big one for last. Oh, Final Fantasy VII. I had a feeling you were going to choose one from there. Of course. You know yeah, it. Yeah, you gotta. You gotta. That was like life-defining game right there. Brenda's actually been playing a game recently, and she was the one that approached me about it. So I don't know what reminded her of this game, but she was. she asked me if she could play Portal what yeah portal one so that's why i fired up the ps3 because oh. that's why i have portal one on you know it's on yeah. the orange box yeah that's what i'm gonna say that old orange box we have the physical orange box mm -hmm. yep all right should we hop in yes all right let's do this <sighs> i call myself i get too excited <laughs> how you doing everybody welcome to affliction autos podcast episode 21 my name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is a proud mother of three, lab geek, somebody's sister, and co-host, Stephanie. Hello. Thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as some of those lesser-known streaming services like Podvine, Simplecast, and Wisdom. I only found out about some of those recently. Wow. Oh, hey, we're even on YouTube at Afflictionados Podcast, so go check us out over there. Nice. 
As always, new episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. We are a monthly podcast where we primarily talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. Sometimes we also cover TV shows or other forms of media. Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. If you ain't ready, then get ready, because in today's episode, we will be discussing the fantasy action rom-com Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, released in 2010, directed by Edgar Wright. Now, really quick, this film revolves around a slacker musician who is trying to win a competition to score a record deal while also battling seven evil exes of his newest girlfriend. Co-written, produced, directed by Edgar Wright. What I wanted to kind of start off with, Steph, Mm -hmm. was how we first discovered Scott Pilgrim, because I learned this movie slash comic book from you. Of course. (laughs) I feel like all the comic book movies, you're always like, I found out about this one from you. And this was around the time where you were like heavily into comics in college, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So actually, I'm trying to remember because I'm pretty sure that I read the comic because of the movie. Oh, this really? This is one of the ones where I actually read the comic. Like, I saw the movie and I really liked it. Okay. I want to say that's how it went. It's so long ago, dang it. <laughs> that. And there was a lot going on at the time. I guess. Well, that was actually the year that I met my husband. And Scott Pilgrim was the first movie we ever saw in the theaters together. Wow, dang. So it has a huge significance. That's cool. It does. It has a little bit of significance for me. Um, And then if you recall, you know, the video game came out and you and Andrew and I played that one together. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. Andrew was actually a little bit sad that he couldn't get on this podcast with us. Oh, really? Yeah, but he didn't express that until today. So how does he feel about that movie? He loves it. And we were actually well, we were actually watching it today um, because I watched it right before this. And <laughs> well, I started it at work today, but, you know, I I'm a supervisor now, so I actually have work to do. Uh, <laughs> Not to mention you were kind of indisposed for a little bit there. Oh, yeah. For a long time. Yeah. We, we had to put this off twice because I was sick. The, the first week we had to postpone it. I was actually sick with like a fever and stuff. And then the second time we had to postpone it. My voice was completely gone from the sickness the week prior, which is BS. <laughs> So <laughs> you sounded worse the week after than yes. the week of. Yeah, exactly. Like I had no voice. My voice finally came back. My voice finally started to come back this past Saturday. And by Sunday, it was finally like mostly back. Like it was still a little mm. husky sounding, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that raspiness going on. Yeah, a little, little bit of sexiness, you know? Can you imitate what your voice would have sounded like had we not postponed it the second time? It would have been like, it would, it would have just been like this. <laughs> oh, so you'd have been like a uh, heavy smoker. I get, yeah, I just had no <laughs> voice at all. It was like, I was like half, half whispering, crackling in and out of smoker and whisper and. Oh, geez. Well, Scott Pilgrim is based off of a graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley. The Scott Pilgrim versus the world title was actually borrowed from the series's second volume, right? Not the, the first one. If I recall, I believe so. I forgot what the first one was actually called. It was like Scott Pilgrim and something else gets a life or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So you had heard of the movie first. Was it your friends in college that introduced you or was it Andrew that introduced you to Scott? Pilgrim? Neither. You just discovered on your own. Yeah. That was one I discovered on my own. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, you know what? You know what it was? I remember now. Okay. So what it was, was that the movie was coming out, but it wasn't out yet. 
you know, I saw the trailer for it and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Found out it was based on a comic. So I uh, you studied up. Yeah, basically, I, I uh, read the whole read the whole comic. I don't think I got through the whole thing before I saw the movie, but I was pretty well into it. So I was like in the middle middle of it. Okay, so let's get your thoughts on the comics then. So were they good enough to actually continue before the movie or were you just kind of like, eh, I mean, this is fun, supplemental? Oh, no, I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, it's it's interesting to me because the movie did a good job of capturing this whole, it's real life, but also in a video game world kind of thing because, hmm. you know, everyone just can spontaneously get up and start fighting out of nowhere. I was thinking of it like a musical, but instead of singing, you're fighting. Yeah, it was like spo- it's like in, instead of spontaneous singing, it's spontaneous video game all of a sudden. Yeah, because in musicals, you know, everyone's dancing and singing, and it's it's fine. No one bats an yeah. eye, and so in this one, everyone starts fighting, and I was just like fine with it. Yeah, and uh, but like other video game things start happening too, and everyone's just cool <laughs> with it. Like yeah, when Julie starts censoring herself. <laughs> that's actually in the comics yeah that's actually i think it is but it's you know it's just like the black bars yeah but you i mean like in the similar to the movie you 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 might at first think like oh she's being censored in the movie or you know she's being censored in the comic but then you know a character will comment on it like how are you doing that (laughs) and she's just like don't fucking worry about it yeah that's awesome so when you first saw the trailer then since this was kind of what started everything what was your initial thought on it? Were you just kind of like, oh, that could be fun? Or you're like, hell yes, let's go. I was pretty much like, this looks like it's right at my alley, you know? Mm, okay. It's, it's, you know, it's a, Almost it like like campy a fun humor. movie. You know, it's got, it's got, you know, the comedy bits and it's, uh, it's got the nerdy bits. It was playing on the, I think, have the, you know, being nerdy was pretty popular at the time. So it was definitely mm. um, playing, playing that up and targeting that audience and whatnot and so i was like hey it's targeting me this whole movie is like nerddom in two hours it's great it's great yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's awesome and you can tell that it was done by someone that actually has a good amount of knowledge about the nerd culture and everything and i felt like they they definitely did it justice for sure speaking of you're talking about edgar wright speaking of edgar wright Andrew did want me to mention that he was originally supposed to direct ant-man but that ended up falling through so imagine what he could have done with ant-man right he didn't do uh, Ant-Man? I thought he, he did. He had a writing credit in Ant-Man. But that's oh, did it. he? He did not do Ant-Man. So um, he also did Baby Driver, which is an amazing movie if you haven't seen it. So that's check right. that one out. And he also did World's End, I believe. That one about the, the dudes bar hopping while there's like an alien invasion going on. Okay. <laughs> which is funny. It's a, I think it's like, oh, Simon Pegg and stuff, you know. Like yeah, he did like Shaun the Dead and like. All of those types of movies. Yeah. So um, I think he Edgar Wright has this interesting way about doing his movies. Like he has an, he has a really interesting grasp on timing and um, delivery and cinematography. I think I actually didn't realize it until it was so blatantly in my face, like with Baby Driver, because everything is synced up to the music in that movie. And it mm-hmm. was so satisfying for me to watch expertly done right absolutely he's so spot on with his editing and everything in the cinematography uh-huh. i can even attest to that in the his latest film last night in soho oh yeah i've seen that one too so the the way that they they sync up the fact that i don't want to give uh too much away but basically they switch off between um like two actresses and kind of playing the same character and it's so awesomely done i, I love the, the way so that they good, yeah. edited yeah, he definitely has a way of of delivering these things that is so unique. And Scott Pilgrim was 
probably the first time that I really appreciated that. Nice. I really enjoyed the blending of the real life and the video game slash comic book stuff going on. You know, when Ramona would be telling her backstory. I don't know if you noticed, but when she told her backstory, I, I honestly, I don't remember she did it with everyone, but I definitely noticed it when she did it with Matthew Patel that she rhymed the whole time. I didn't catch that. Yeah, That's I awesome. caught that today, actually. And I actually rewound it to make sure that I wasn't just hearing things. And then when the art that they show when she's telling her flashback stories is the art from the comic. So that was cool. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's right. So when it shows the like the panels, right, yeah. of like, kind of explaining her uh, her backstory. Yeah. yeah, her romances with her exes. It's done in the style of the comics. Yeah, I noticed that too. Another thing is sometimes, you know, words will pop up randomly, like transitioning from one scene to the next. It'll be like Ramona come closer and then it'll be the next scene. Those are the mm. titles of the chapters in the comic. Oh, that's cool. Nice little callback. Yep. Uh, see, I love how he picked details from the comics and then placed them in the movie, like kind of sprinkled yeah, them all and throughout. He did, I, it's, if I recall correctly, and I know I say that a lot in this podcast, if I recall correctly, he followed the comics pretty well. From my understanding, it has the title of the second volume, but it more closely follows the first, right? No, it follows the whole thing. Oh, it goes through I think all, all, the all volumes? Seven volumes are, you know, the X, or no, six volumes, I think it is, but it goes through all the X's, I believe, through the whole oh, thing. Okay. Yeah, I think it's the whole thing. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this movie is an ensemble cast. It has a crap ton of people in it. So I only wanted to cover the first two initially. And then as we come across more characters, then we'll we'll talk about them. It's like coming across them in the real movie because you're like, this guy's in it. And then this guy's in it, you know? Pretty much. <laughs> So obviously we'll start with Michael Sarah as the title character and main protagonist, Scott Pilgrim. He is the bassist in the indie band Sex Babam, once dated well-known singer Envy Adams, whom we'll discuss later as well, and uh, is now infatuated with Ramona. He's also surprisingly a skillful fighter, albeit reluctant. Right, which just comes out of nowhere. And then Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the mysterious love interest, Ramona Flowers. She secretly moved to Toronto from New York, right? Yes. I, and I guess that's not really secret. Yeah, I think I just think she's one of those people that is just kind of private in general. But if you ask, it's not like she's trying to hide anything, you know? Sure. Uh, another thing to <laughs> to make a note of is that her hair color changes regularly for no reason. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also true in the comics. Yeah. But that the comics aren't in color, so you have to. I think it's on. I think it might be on the cover, but in the comics, it has to be mentioned. Gotcha. Okay. And lastly, she has dated some eccentric and emotionally attached people in the past. So we'll get to those, obviously, mm -hmm. much later. But um, one more thing I wanted to mention: Did you know that this movie was actually a box office bomb? No, I didn't know that. I think I loved it so much in my head; it's just a perfect success, you know. Exactly. I thought everyone else loved the movie as much as I did, but it wasn't able to recoup its $85 million budget, Aww. only making 49 Wow. Not even like a cult hit afterwards kind of thing? Sales? It did. It did receive a lot of positive reviews from critics and got a cult following, but it's just, it, unfortunately, no one really felt like they needed to go see it when it was released in theaters. Everyone missed out then. Yeah, they did. Back to what we we're talking about before, um, before I wanted to get like full on into the movie. I just love the 
it's like real life, but still kind of uh, cartoonish at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of difficult to explain, but they they'll spell out sound effects yeah. and then they'll have the angles and everything are almost anime like. Or if they're running, they'll you'll have like the speed lines. We got the sound effects coming off the instruments. Kind yeah, of thing. it's like they start playing and then like you can see like these like jolts coming out of it. I, I freaking loved all that. shit. Yeah, that's I think that's an Edgar Wright, you know, touch kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, even just like the the fact that it's, it kind of starts off with that song, you know, they start playing or whatever and they're going through the different cast member names and it's it's just showing like a bunch of panels and a bunch of graphics and everything. And mm-hmm. it almost just kind of felt like panels of a comic book. It probably was. And the music, obviously the music didn't translate in the comic because it's a comic. So I was impressed with um, the music that they chose and the artists that they chose to to write these songs and stuff because they're really good. I really enjoyed the music in the movie. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Even though a lot of the songs are just like little 10 second snippets. Right. Some of them are actually like one note, yeah. which is you know, hilarious. So the film starts in Toronto, Canada, as we're introduced to Scott Program, the 22-year-old bassist of the unsuccessful indie band Sex Bomb, of course. We're introduced to the fact that he has a new girlfriend that he just started dating, and it just so happens to be a 17-year-old high school student. So uh, her name is Knives Chow, played by Ellen Wong. She's so cute. Rightfully, this relationship is looked down on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what, like, I don't know what legal age of consent is in Canada. But, you know, in America, she's underage. Yes. Scandalous. I mean, when you're an adult, age really doesn't matter as much. But when you're still in high school and you're a grown ass man, 22 years old, you can't find someone more your age. Yeah. <laughs> but you were right, though. I forgot how pretty and hilarious Ellen Wong was. Yeah, she's, she, does, she does a great she's job. She's super cute. You know, some of her, just the way she the way she delivers things the way she her facial expressions are and yeah i just i, I like the way she she's really over dramatic yeah, about everything <laughs> i feel like it kind of annoys some of the band members like how much she's into their band but i mean that's kind of what you want you want people to be excited for you yeah and she was she was almost a cheerleader you know <laughs> almost um did you know that sex with bomb actually gets its name from the mario franchise when I read about that, that was actually pretty interesting because I didn't realize that the Bob-Bombs was the name of those bombs oh, in yeah. the game. Yeah, it is true. Bob-Omb. Yeah, I think I I can't. I think I actually knew that already. Go me. Oh, you did? Wow. Nerd cred. <laughs> I think anyone who, you know, probably played that game regularly when they were young knew that. But I want to say, you know, since we never had... I guess the a Nintendo console. Yeah, so uh, I never really got all that Mario exposure. The bombs don't ever say their name, so how are you supposed to know what they're actually called? Yeah, exactly. I guess since we're talking about Sex Bob, uh, let's introduce the other band members. So we got Steven Stills, played by Mark Weber, who is the lead guitarist and lead vocalist, right? Yes. Okay, and then we have Kim Pine, played by Allison Pill, and she is the <laughs> overjoyed female drummer super happy she can't contain her excitement obviously that's sarcasm (laughs) she is always just in a terrible mood yep what's great about it is that when it comes time to play dude she's just always down like she's just ready to go at all times yeah and she's good 
Um, I wanted to actually ask you something about Kim Pine because it seems like, you know, Kim obviously doesn't like anyone anyway, but it seems particularly that she does not like Knives. And I get the sense that Kim is still into Scott. Is that really? I don't what? I don't think that's what it is. Um, they did date. And as far as I know, the breakup, the as far as I remember, like they 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 broke up, obviously. And she's I feel like she's kind of felt this resentment towards him. Oh, ever since. Okay. and at the end, he apologizes to her and she kind of smiles. And mm. I feel like that's finally giving her this closure that she never had. I don't know if they dated for a while. It seemed pretty brief, but I get the sense that he broke up with her in a way that wasn't really all that savory. A jerk move. Yeah, yeah, he probably did it in like a really kind of like nonchalant way and didn't really care. And Over text or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and she was probably just like, wow, what the fuck? Yeah, and then they have to keep being in this band together. That's so what's it's not funny. not that she hates knives. It's that she thinks Scott's an idiot. Gotcha, okay. But I did want to mention, like, don't forget Neil. Because he's kind of like their backup bassist and eventually ends up taking over. Young Neil. Young Neil. My bad. He's not Neil yet. His full name is Young Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's and he's like the youngest person there. I mean, everyone else is 22-ish and he's 20. So that's why he's Young Neil. Yeah. He kind of looked like a young Bill Hader. Maybe I he mean, was like but, more hip. Yeah. I was going to say cuter. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, Bill Hader is dorky. <laughs> yeah, he is. Maybe like less nerdy and like just yeah. more hipstery or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's He had that emo hair going on, you know. It's important to note that back then, I think the whole hipster vibe was like just coming in. So I think people were kind of considered losers that looked like hipsters. Yeah. And then it also, I mean, if you look at the credits or at least on IMDb, the credits, it's like, you know, he, we knew that you know, Matthew Patel had his demon hipster chicks because he literally calls them his demon hipster, hipster chicks. chicks. Yeah. But so many other characters in the movie are like hipster this and hipster that, you know, like, you know, all kinds of different hipsters. So, uh, yeah, I think that that was when the hipster movement was um, really starting to become a thing. Yep. And yeah, this is 2010. So it's man, so much has changed since 2010. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was doing around that time. Well, you would have been a little bit younger than me. <laughs> Were we living together then? Back then, I am still two years younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you were and you were still working, but you weren't in your position now. I think you were still in medical records, right? Living in that condo. If that's in the, the case, ghetto. yeah. You were living in the condo at the time? We were roomies? I know that before I got my own place, I moved in with you, and then I moved out, and then I moved in with you again. <laughs> And then I moved in with Nadia and then I got my own place. Okay. I mean, it's just nice to have an apartment with your own laundry room. Yeah. That is such a, a big luxury because that condo did not. It was it was like a little like four unit building, you know, and it mm -hmm. did technically have a tiny laundry room in between the two garages. But man, that thing was so broke down. I don't think when I first moved in there with Cameron, I don't think we ever used that laundry room ever wasn't it coin operated <laughs> i think so yeah you open the door and everything's just right there you're you're basically standing in the doorway trying to load up everything and oh my gosh so you would still be out in the elements if it was raining outside like it was this evening it was pissing rain before we started the podcast imagine that you'd be soaked yep couldn't do laundry on rainy days Anyway, that was that was a bit of a tangent. I Going know, back to the segue. movie. <laughs> um, so we're also introduced to Scott's roommate, Wallace Wells, played by Kieran Culkin. 
what's interesting about Wallace is that, you know, I, I wanted to mention because this is something that they they touch on regularly throughout the movie is that uh, Wallace is gay. And um, this is pivotal to his character because he's also a bit of a um, I almost feel like he's kind of a, a slut. Wom- he's kind of a womanizer, but for guys, he's a man slut. Yeah. And he's kind of predatory and sexually aggressive at times i noticed a little bit yeah he's i don't know he's he's smooth or something i don't know but i mean he's not he's not forcing anybody to do anything he just knows how to get guys in his bed i guess apparently because every time you see him he has a new boyfriend yeah and the funny thing is they live in a studio and they have one bed that they share it's a mattress on the floor (laughs) that's true and so when when wallace has guys over the three of them are in bed together Unless Wallace says, hey, I need the, I need the, the space and you know, I need you to be gone. What's cool about Wallace, too, is that he's kind of easygoing, you know, like he just goes with the flow and he's very humorous as well. Like he's sarcastic and he has a dry humor. He's very chill. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, he seems like a pretty, pretty good roommate. And he puts up with a lot of Scott shit. He sure does. I think it's interesting that this is the second movie in a row that we've done with Kieran Culkin in it. Right? Isn't that weird? <laughs> what are the chances? I totally forgot when I was watching this. I was like, holy shit, that's Kieran. <laughs> and we did like a whole bit on him for our I know. Uh, Home Alone episode. Yeah. Wow. And this, yeah, this is obviously much later. So he went from like that nerdy Pepsi kid. Peeing the bed. <laughs> peeing the bed. <laughs> they should have just written that into his character just as like a throwback. <laughs> as much as Wallace is a pretty chill and kind of a cool roommate, you know, when you think about it, Scott's like the opposite. Scott's like a shitty roommate. He's yeah. like really self-centered and he doesn't contribute to anything. Everything in the apartment is Wallace's and they point that out literally. Except for the jacket hanging on the, the hanger, <laughs> which is Scott's. <laughs> but they're like, Wallace, Wallace, also Wallace. Scott spends the, the movie, you know, figuring himself out and... He doesn't work. He's he's like this aspiring uh, musician, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I thought was actually kind of weird and I actually might think is... Maybe the weakest part of the movie, which it's not a knock against the movie because then everything else is fantastic. But Scott's dreams are a little bit odd. And I wonder if this is how they actually look in the comics, because I I feel like these probably translated better in the comics. But when Scott has this dream and then he sees Ramona kind of like skating through and she's just like, what's up? The audience is kind of left like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, apparently Scott has these dreams. And his his brain, I think she actually mentions in the movie, like his brain happens to have a pretty a pretty good pathway through time, basically. So she kind of she's she says she could get you know she could she could get through a mile in you know like you a know however long she's a couple yeah a couple minutes or something like that just skating. And so yeah, and so she uses she uses the the passageway through his like mind. Scott's subconscious. <laughs> To deliver Amazon packages in a timely fashion. Which is pretty awesome. Imagine if people could really do shit like that. So, yeah, she Ramona is introduced through the the dream as she's passing through her interdimensional highway, delivering packages. I also wanted to take a, a quick second to mention the other Scott scene was hilarious. Which scene is that? Where Kieran, he's just like, Scott. And then so Scott Pilgrim snaps up. He's like, what? And he's like... He's like, no, the other Scott. And then so his boyfriend oh, yeah. sits up. <laughs> yeah. And his name is literally just like other Scott. Yeah. Wallace's boyfriend. So while Scott and Knives are hanging out, they visit, uh, you know, they're going on a bunch of dates and they're going to like music stores and they're going to like arcades and stuff. But 
um, when they're in the music store, they're introduced to Julie Powers, who is played by Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza, another big name, and I think uh, like nerd famous at the time, you know. Oh, was she? I feel like she was always doing these nerdy roles, and like guys, you know, nerdy guys are super into her. Huh. I don't think I knew who she was at that time. So Aubrey Plaza, is she an, an employee at the record store or is she just kind of shopping there? I feel like she's kind of everywhere because she's also a barista at the coffee shop. That's right. So that's the joke is that she literally every scene that she's in, she's working. So she, <laughs> she has like a shit ton of jobs. And she's also, yeah, she's also, uh, she also seems to be working the venue when uh, the the Clash of Demon Head are there, you know, yep. and where else? Oh, and then she throws a party. So I guess she's not technically working then, but she's like hosting <laughs> something. Right, right. <clears throat> is she a friend of scott or or is she just kind of like i don't know an, an acquaintance or something because it seems like she finds she sees scott and knives hanging out on their date and then she's she's almost like judging them right like she's yeah like, and he, he obviously knows her but it might be through his sister but yeah she's totally judging him and he's like thank you julie <laughs> i like how uh scott's the place scott grew up at is right across the street from yeah apartment. exactly so knives wants to check out the place, place. The, the apartment and so scott he doesn't want to invite her inside but he's like hey you know what here's an idea i'll show you where i grew up and so she's like cool and then they, and they, they turn around they, they walk like two steps and it's like across the street is where he grew up <laughs> he's like here it is and she's like whoa he kind of reminds me of me in in that respect where when i moved out of mom and dad's i only moved like down the street 10 basically. minutes away driving not even 10 minutes away like five minutes away like Three miles. Definitely not very far. And I mean, which made it convenient for doing laundry. Oh, yeah. Especially (laughs) since you didn't have the coins to do that. You know, it was nice, though, because I was like two minutes away from work. So it was the optimal point. I was like halfway between work and mom and dad's. Yeah. When you worked over there. I remember when Mervyn shut down and it became Kohl's. I was like, oh, no. And then I walked into Kohl's and I was like, oh, it's exactly the same. All right. More of the same. Yeah. I still think that I was part of Mervyn's downfall because um skyline and i we shoplifted a couple times <laughs> i don't think you shoplifting once or twice from ribbons was part of his downfall <laughs> that was the straw that broke the camel's back i'm telling you <laughs> um speaking of scott's apartment why the hell does it look like a bunker right i was wondering that too i don't know is that a, is that a canada thing is any canadian listeners out there let us know is that is that a canadian thing for i don't know maybe because they had get heavy snow or something so maybe it's part of that i don't know oh true the the snow was like right up against their door so yeah maybe maybe that helped kind of conceal it a little bit man that would suck like you open your door and it's just three feet of snow immediately right there yeah that sounds great i'm so glad we live in california (laughs) when does scott actually run into ramona outside of his dream uh, he sees her at the library, right? The library. Okay, so that's that's another date that Scott's on with Knives. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he's with Knives, and then he that's when he realizes realizes that the girl in his dream is real. Hmm. Not a figment of his imagination, but uh-huh. he's he's really intrigued by who that was, right? Like he wants to. Yeah, it's interesting because she's in his dream, and he's like, she's literally the girl of my dreams. Yeah, literally. And and then he he kind of becomes obsessed with her a little bit, and. As soon as he figures out that she's a real person, not just a figment of his imagination, he fixates on finding out more about her. So he ends up at that party that Julie's throwing that I mentioned. Uh huh. And he's asking around, like, oh, you know, do you know this girl? And he holds up this drawing and it's like this shit ass, like, 
little kid looking drawing <laughs> and his friends like, oh, yeah, that's Ramona Flowers. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, fun fact about that scene. He was originally supposed to hold up a panel of the Ramona from the comic. Yeah, that would have that been funny. But the kid, the p- kid picture was funny, too. Yeah. Edgar Wright thought that it was just way funnier to actually have like the shitty kids drawing. <laughs> and then they know who, exactly who it was supposed to be. Yeah. Super poorly drawn illustration. Like it's basically just like a, a circle with like dot and eyes with like blue hair or yeah. something. <laughs> so, so his friend Como, who plays him? Como, like he's supposed to yeah. know everybody, everybody who's anybody, basically. Anyone who's anyone, he knows. Como knows, yeah. And so he's the one that reveals that Ramona just moved up from New York and is dating some random guy named Gideon. And that's all that he knows. But he actually just totally skips over the Gideon part. And he's just like, oh, so her name is Ramona and she moved up from New York. Cool. Good to know. Something that was interesting to me, I think it's another jerk move of, of Scott's, of course, but the way he just immediately loses interest in knives and just right totally blows her off. I've actually totally had that happen to me before. To so you? I can... Oh, not shit. like to me, but like I where I would lose interest in somebody quickly like that, you know? Oh, crap. What happened? Are you, are you like, I so? don't exactly remember. It was probably some I was I don't know. I was fickle like Scott in high school. So, you know, I, I, I recognize that as a jerk move. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> hmm. Poor knives, but I can relate. Steph, do you remember Lamont? <laughs> I still remember his phone number. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Because <laughs> it was just a bunch of eights. I think it was just, I literally just about just hit eight for a while and that was his phone number. <laughs> and then he answers is like, Steph, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm still waiting. For the, for, for anyone who's wondering who that is, there was this guy who was for some reason obsessed with me in elementary school. Elementary. I want to say like second grade or something ridiculous like that. I wonder what he's doing out there. You know, I don't think he had a last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Lamont, period. <laughs> Oh, man. Also, how badass of a name is The Clash at Demon Head? That just sounds that awesome. Is, that's pretty good, yeah. It's pretty legit. So I, I was looking into uh, what that was, like how they came up with that title, and that is actually the name of a video game as well. Uh-huh. It's this old retro game, and I I don't remember what console's on. I want to say maybe like Atari or something, but yeah. It's, something super old, yeah. It got the name from that video game, Clash at Demon Head. That's cool. Also, this might be the first time that I had ever seen Brie Larson on screen. Really? Yeah, me too. She blew up after this. If she wasn't already popular, um, she could have been and I wouldn't have known. But I felt like given a couple years after this movie and then she just started popping up a bunch of stuff. Really? I feel like I feel like she Oh, I, I didn't really see her again until Captain Marvel. What really put her on the map was Room. Yeah, I've never seen that. I've still yet to see it myself, but Brenda saw it and she she said it was pretty awesome. Room? Yeah, Room. Not to be confused with The Room, which is a yeah. much different movie. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Did we mention that Scott's sister? Oh, no. Who's Scott's sister? Scott's sister played by Anna Kendrick. She's a fun cameo because she just pops up randomly throughout the movie. What I like about the relationship, too, she's the younger sister, and she's actually kind of protective, overly protective of Scott. Oh, yeah. Some younger siblings can be, yeah. Oh, man. At the the first competition, like the first band competition. The Toronto International Battle of the Band. She sees Knives and she sees her month, so she's like, so what's your guys' story? (laughs) I know. 
And that night she loses her boyfriend to Wallace and she's like, again? That was great because, again, you know, this is this is Wallace just, like, getting guys, like, there's no tomorrow. He just, like, makes eyes at him and by the end of the night they're making out. Yeah. Anna Kendrick's always fun to to kind of see in movies because I feel like she she always just has presence in whatever yeah. role she has. Even in the Twilight movies, you know, she's this like yeah, insignificant true. side character, but I think she's one of the more charismatic ones. True. Was this before or after Twilight? This is after Twilight. So there are a lot of uh pop culture references, obviously, throughout the movie and little Easter eggs and shit thrown in. So it, it would be like impossible for us to mention all of them, but um Another one that is pretty interesting is Crush and the Boys. If I recall, that's also named after a video game. So it seems like all the, the bands. <laughs> all the bands are video game. Video game related, yeah. That's funny. I didn't even realize that. Well, I learned something new today. So speaking of Crash and the Boys, uh, I love that um, you know Wallace starts heckling him immediately when they go on stage. <laughs> what does he say? He's like... He's like, is your drummer one of the boys or whatever? And then she gives him the finger and she's like this like elementary school girl. That's right. So Kim's hating hard on the band because they're like, they have a female drummer. They have a girl drummer. Yeah, it's funny because when um, the sex bob bombs go on, the that girl drummer is, you know, giving death glare from back at her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now enter Matthew Patel, evil X number one. Matthew Patel, Evil X number one. And he had actually sent Scott an email in advance, which Scott basically disregarded. Much like his his uh, selective hearing, he has selective reading as well. Right. So Matthew Patel shows up and he's like, who the hell are you? And Matthew Patel's like, didn't you read my email? It explains everything. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, skimmed it. <laughs> <laughs> you will pay for your insolence. um what i loved about this was how just over the top and dramatic matthew was because he's like just super ultra serious yeah and stereotypical too in in some ways he's like wearing eyeliner and i like how someone was like why are you dressed as a pirate he's like pirates are in right now which was true pirates are in this year (laughs) man i remember when pirates of the caribbean came out dude it was insane how popular pirates were yeah, I spent one whole night one time making a, a fan site for that movie. Oh, did you? I did. I don't know whatever happened to it because I just abandoned it. But On Angel it was Fire? awesome. I, I'm pretty sure it was on Angel Fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. With like all the uh, the graphics and flashing yeah, lights. Flashing and things. And, yeah. yeah. This is a pretty intense fight, so we can't skip over this because this is the first time that he actually fights an ex-boyfriend, and there's like a lot it's of... also el- the first time you find out that Scott can fight. Can fight. Spontaneously out of nowhere. And there's a lot of elements to this, so it's like he cu- he flies in, he just busts through the wall, and you know, he's like, he's demanding to fight Scott, and Scott doesn't want to fight. He's just like, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you're talking about, what do I do? He's like, what do I do? It's funny because every time Scott fights someone, it does like the verses, like a fighting game. Uh-huh. But it it doesn't even do that until like halfway in the fight. Yeah, because I don't think he. I mean, he hardly even realizes he's fighting at first. Um, but I think it's funny because they pause at some point, and Scott's like, "What's going on?" And then Ramona goes through the backstory. Yeah. And then she mentions something about his mystical powers, and Scott's like, "Wait, what? Mystical powers?" And that's when he starts shooting fireballs and making demon hipster chicks or whatever. I also didn't get that joke about the pirates because I, I didn't think he looked like a pirate at all, honestly. I didn't either. I mean, he was wearing a striped shirt and a jacket, I guess, with this, maybe the eyeliner, that that uh Jack Sparrow eyeliner. I thought it was the pants and the shoes, and the honestly. Yeah, yeah, like tucked into the boots. But I thought easily this was like 
the cheesiest of all the boyfriends. It was yeah, especially with the kind of cringe. The, the song, yeah. The singing, yeah. And I'm just like, mm, could have done without that. But, I, you know, that's part of the comics. And that's actually in the game. I remember that. I don't think because, I mean, you know, there's no singing in the comics. So I don't recall there being a song in the comics. He doesn't dance around, though, or anything. I think he does. You know, and then the whole like, you know, the demon hipster chicks and thing. Right. And that right. stuff happens. And... But yeah, I definitely think it was the other weak part of this entire movie. But everything else yeah. is fantastic. I was a little disappointed with how he defeated him because, you know, he's he's shooting everything with his mystical powers and he actually incinerates Crash and the Boys. <laughs> Crash and the Boys. Scott just throws a symbol at his head and then he he uh, like punches him in the face and then that's it. He KOs him. I mean, he was only a two dollar and 40 cent X. So but there was a, a point where he was like doing like a high combo, right? Getting uh, all these shots in on him. And that wasn't enough to KO him. But it was just like a symbol to the head. I guess boom. the symbol and the punch were just the finish him part of it. Maybe. Maybe also when he summoned his his hipster girlfriends or whatever, his hipster chicks. Yeah. He was more vulnerable then to like a physical attack. Right. After that fight, Ramona actually reveals that she has more exes. But Scott still doesn't seem to care about that. He just, yeah, he's like, whatever. He, it does not register for a really long time. She mentions it like three or four times. Several times. And then he always, at some point he's like ex-boyfriend and she's like exes. Did you notice that Scott seems to change his shirt about as often as Ramona changes her hair color? Like he changes it like three or four times throughout the movie. And I think one time the symbol is uh, the rock band bass symbol, isn't it? And then he has the Scott Pilgrim symbol of the last shirt at the end. It's like the heart with SP in it. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I noticed I noticed a couple of them. Scott finally breaks up with Knives so he can focus solely on Ramona. And uh, Scott seems to be on cloud nine now that he can actually just free himself of Knives. Obviously, you know, Knives is like, she's like hating her life now. I, I, I think it's interesting because when he was riding the bus, he's just sitting on the bus like, you know, being sad and stuff. And he imagines her f- sad face when he broke up with her and then imagines her sad face again and then. He starts imagining Ramona and perks up. <laughs> Damn. He's like, oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, pretty much. When Scott and Ramona have their first official date at his pad, uh, he initially tells Walls to fuck off for a while. But then he he kind of gets self-conscious, you know, just being alone with Ramona. Yeah. And he's a little awkward. And that the, this scene actually has one of Andrew's and my favorite lines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, when they're they're eating and then they're talking and he's like, I could just eat garlic bread all the time. And then she's <laughs> like, but you would get fat. And he's like, why? And she's like, bread makes you fat. And he's like, bread makes you fat. Bread makes you fat. Yeah, with his mouthful. <laughs> and so we always say that, he like, you know, one of us will be like, bread makes you fat. And the other will be like, bread makes you fat. <laughs> For, you know, 13 years now. I'm not going to lie, though. Garlic bread is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. I could eat that all the time. Just nonstop. So yeah, um, when he rushes Wallace out the door, Wallace just kind of mentions in passing, he's like, I'll be at the castle. But it's like, you don't don't know what the castle is, you know? Like, you're just like, okay, whatever. It's like quite literally a castle. But yeah, it's, I I like how he does that too, because again, this is, this is just the genius of Edgar Wright, where it's like the transitions and how he delivers the information. So he's like, he's like, you know, Lucas, he's a pretty good skater turned pretty good actor. Well, so the, the cover of it is like Lucas as a skater. And then like yeah. when he flips it, it's like a poster for his movie that that's coming out. I thought it was pretty awesome. That was good. And then so and he throws it down with all the other newspapers showing all his movies. Mm-hmm. 
why is Scott so self-conscious about his hair specifically? Because I felt like that was what really sent him over the edge. And he was like, all right, I got to get out of here. Let's go. Because when, because the day that Envy broke up with him, he had gotten a haircut. And so it says, it says like at some point, like, oh, it's been 400 and something days since he's gotten a haircut. He's been cutting his hair himself ever since. Since he broke up with Envy. Wow. Since she broke up with him. Yeah okay and it was a bad haircut on top of that he got a bad haircut then he got dumped i didn't really notice that it was supposed to be a bad haircut because that just kind of looks like michael sir's hair all the time anyway (laughs) yeah well no that's after it's been growing out and he's been cutting it himself for you know 400 and however many days but but it's supposed to be kind of shitty right like it's supposed to be shaggy but like it, it has a drawing of him from the comic with the bad haircut and it's all like different lengths and stuff Oh, okay that was when he got the bad haircut that that got him dumped Gotcha. Not Damn. actually got dumped, but the, coincidentally got dumped the, the that same day. time. So that he just associates that with uh, a very painful he time. He refuses to go get his hair cut, his hair professionally cut, because it's triggering for him. And then, yeah, just the slightest mention of it, it's like, oh, your hair's getting a little shaggy. He's just like, what? The hat's already on. <laughs> I love how they do that. So yeah, he he gets uh, nervous after she mentions the hair, and then so he's just like, oh, let's let's go uh, hang out with Wallace, you know, see if we can find him. Let's the go take a walk. And she's like, "Are you trying to leave just so you can keep your hat on?" Yes, that was that was the purpose. But you know, they end up going to the castle to meet up with Wallace, and they're at the the shoot, the film shoot. We introduce Evil X number two, Lucas Lee, played by Chris Evans. Yes, and uh, you know. Ramona's like, what's going on here? And when she finds out who's filming, she's like, oh, no, we got to go. And that's when Lucas Lee starts actually talking to Scott. This is a fun dynamic because Scott is so starstruck by Lucas. You know, he's like excited to meet him. And Lucas is like, I'm going to kick your ass. And he's like, can I have your autograph? I love when he walks out of the trailer and it's like the universal theme music. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and he cracks, he cracks his neck. It's all dun, dun. As far as I can tell, this seems like the perfect casting for Lucas Lee. Yeah. And I think at that point I was like, oh, look, it's the Human Torch. Oh, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Because, I mean, this was way before um, Avengers. Yeah. And Captain America. So several years, a couple of years, a few years. That voice that he does, the fucking eyebrows and (laughs) just his mannerisms. stupid facial hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has like the little chin strap thing. Yeah. That was stupid looking shit. Like, it's just it's so great and perfect, man. This shows the humor and like delivery that Chris Evans is capable uh-huh. of doing. I might say that this is actually one of my favorite villains of the movie. Yeah, he was just so uh-huh. fun to watch. I loved almost everything about just the dynamic of this fight because you get the sense that Scott just is not on the same level as Lucas Lee. Like in a straight up fight, if he tried to approach Lucas the same way that he did Matthew Patel, he was going to get his ass kicked because yeah. Lucas was just like bigger, stronger and just like a better fighter. And in he every does way. get his ass kicked for a while. I mean, he sicks all his stunt doubles on him and stuff like that. And well, the thing is, so the brief moment where they kind of go one-on-one, he easily just takes him out. But like when Scott gets up and tries to retaliate, that's when you're introduced to the uh, stunt doubles and they're playing off of the character. His current mm-hmm. role is that he's an actor. He's like this huge action star. And so I love how they're they're kind of like playing up that trope. What do action stars typically have? Stunt doubles. 
Lucas is literally just walking away right after knocking him on his ass. And so Scott tries to grab his shoulder and turn him around. And then it's revealed that it's like one of his stunt doubles and the, the camera pans over to the side. And Lucas is like, whoa, <laughs> looks like you see double. <laughs> so cheesy. All these other stunt doubles fan out from like behind that that initial stunt double. <laughs> yeah. And so there's like a good like eight of them, eight or nine of them. So You're awesome. Just fighting a whole team of stunt doubles. They're all wielding skateboards. <laughs> yeah. And they're hitting him with the skateboards and stuff. I freaking loved this fight. Like everything about this fight. All of the way he actually ends up being able to defeat him because he just kind of plays on his ego. He kind of just used his his need to impress girls against him. Yeah, because he's like, there's girls. He's like, he wasn't going to do it. And he's like, but there's there are girls watching. But the thing is, he didn't even know what it is he was trying to get him to do. He was like, can you do a thingy? He's like, it's called a grind. Called a grind, bro. Grindy thingy. And then when he explodes at the bottom of the stairs, I love how the, the director's like, that's a wrap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was going down that rail at like 300 miles or kilometers an hour, right? Since it's in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. He straight up just like hits the ground and like explodes at the very bottom. It's awesome. You just see a little little explosion of coins at the bottom. The only way for Scott to defeat Lucas is to have Lucas defeat himself. That's right. So then after that we we that's when he gets the call from Envy, Envy at some yeah. point. Yeah. And she already knows who Ramona is. Well, I guess that would make sense because you find out later that she dated Envy's current boyfriend. Is she kind of stalking like almost like low key lurking on uh, Scott though, like kind of keeping tabs on him, seeing what's going Maybe. on. Maybe I mean I think it's one of those things where she doesn't want him, but she doesn't want anybody else to have him either. You know, trying to make her more of a bitch. But I mean, again, I don't yeah. feel bad for Scott because he's an asshole. So they kind of deserve each other, right? But she ends up inviting him or inviting the band, not him specifically, but she invites the band to open for them. Yep. They they play the the Clash song, which is really good. I really like that song. That is a dope song. So this is the introduction to the Clash at Demon Head, right? And I think they wanted to show that the bands that Scott has been kind of playing against so far, you know, they're, they're all these like little small indie bands, but the Clash at Demon Head is on another level. Yeah. And they're legit. So when, when you go see them perform, you they have like all the production and everything that goes into mm-hmm. it. And this is cool because this is really Brie Larson singing. Yeah, that is cool too. Written and performed by Brie Larson and Metric. It's by Metric. Metric, so. okay. So yeah, she she actually sings. And I found out when I was researching this movie that she was actually trying to be a musician first, and then she got into acting later. Oh, no way. So that's why she, was, she wasn't she so afraid to sing, sing the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So then Julie comes out because she's apparently working everywhere. And she's like, uh, Envy would like to like you guys all to come backstage. And they're like, all of us? And she's like, did I fucking stutter? Except it wasn't that sounding. <laughs> oh, uh, Scott got almost uh, jumped on his way to the venue, though, right? Wasn't that when he first oh, runs into Roxy? He was just, yeah, he was walking. He was just like walking down an alleyway. And then Roxy's like flashing back and forth. Kind of just looks like a ghost or something flying around. Yeah. And then he punches her in the boob to stop her. Finds out That's when he finds out it's a girl. And she's like, you punched me in the boob. Prepare to die, obviously. And that's my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> this character probably has like a lot of the best lines in the movie, honestly. Like everything yeah. she says is idiotic. Yeah, it's hilarious. Played by Mae Whitman, who uh, if you ever watched um, Arrested Development with also Michael Sarah, 
she was uh, Michael Sarah's girlfriend in nice. that show. And it's funny because her character is supposed to in the show is supposed to be like super duper forgettable and just plain and I can't even remember what her name is because she's so forgettable. But <laughs> um completely opposite character, I guess. I feel like Mae Whitman is just a uh... She's a pr- surprisingly a pretty funny actress, you know? Yeah. I feel like her style of humor is her trying to be serious, but like that comes off dorky or, or yeah. whatever, or like idiotic, like this character. So it's important to note that he finds out after punching her in the boob that she's a girl because he, Scott, doesn't want to fight a girl. So that's why he has no bone to pick with her at all. And that that becomes a thing later. Back to uh, Julie. So she invites the band backstage. Yeah, and that's where you, that's where Knives finds out that Scott actually dated Envy. And that's where you also find out Envy's current boyfriend is Ramona's ex. Damn. What was cool about this character, too, was when he was performing, he's kind of like mad dogging in Scott's direction. But you don't realize that he is one of the evil exes. So that's why he's, he's burning a hole through Scott mm-hmm. while he's performing. Yep, and this guy, Todd... Todd Ingram. He's played by Superman himself. One of the Supermans himself. Brandon Routh. He's actually kind of, I don't know, he's kind of like Superman in this movie too, if you think right? about it. Right? Yeah, he has he has these powers because he's vegan, which is hilarious. <laughs> so apparently being vegan gives you powers, psychic powers. They make fun of vegans by basically... Making them all powerful. Making it satirical. And they're just yeah. saying that if all vegans are pretty much just like gifted these like powers and they think that they're better than everyone and no one is on their level. Yeah. And so it seems like it's going to be impossible to beat him. If Scott couldn't go one-on-one with Lucas Lee, he has even less of a chance against Todd. Because yeah. Todd's like a super saiyan. Yeah. Literally. Like his hair is even up in everything. That's another cool character trait for Todd is when he's normal, he just has like this like, kind of like emo hair in the face or whatever. But when he uses his powers, his eyes turn white. It's almost like Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Pure. Superior. <laughs> this is where Todd does a, a heinous thing because Knives is there and you, you oh, see that yeah. she dyed her hair blue to compete with Ramona. Whose hair is also blue at the time. Yeah, she has blue hair around this time. So Knives only dyes like half of her hair. So she's only half committed. But she actually defends Scott. So, you know, she's still in love with Scott and... They're kind of like dogging on Scott. So Knives comes to his defense. I think by this point, Envy is is tired of Knives. So she's just like, take this girl out. And Todd just, boom, punches her right in the face. Literally punches the blue out of her hair. It's all splattered on the floor. And uh, Neil even even mentions it, right? Uh, Twice. He's like, you punched the highlights out of her hair. (laughs) And that was actually in the comics. Yeah. Now? Fight number three commences. So Scott tries to come to her defense after that punch, you know, that cheap shot. Todd, th- this is where you see that, oh man, he he has a, like supernatural powers holding Scott in the air, you know, like levitating him off the ground as he's I think standing he, like up. force choking him too because Scott's like, my neck. Oh, is he? He's, he's like choking yeah. him too? He's basically just like tossing him around at will and Scott mm-hmm. has like no chance. So what's cool about this fight specifically is that he tries a couple different methods out since he can't go one on one with them. What does he do? Base battle. <laughs> yeah. So when he gets tossed through the wall, Scott uh, grabs a bass guitar and he actually starts um, trying to challenge Todd to a, a bass off. And Todd just kicks his ass in that too. <laughs> 
Taz just too good. Like nothing can stop this guy. He's he's an invincible vegan until until Scott tricks him into drinking half and half. Is it reverse psychology or is it reverse reverse psychology? Reverse reverse for sure. <laughs> but the thing is, you find out that that was his third offense. He knowingly ingested gelato and chicken, and he's like, he's like, gelato's not vegan. What was it? Milk, Milk and, and eggs, bitch. <laughs> you have to mention the fact that as soon as he makes his third offense, the vegan police show up immediately. And, and then they, they're like, you ate, you know, whatever it was with chicken in it. And he's like, chicken's not vegan. <laughs> he says all like hesitant, like chicken's not vegan. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And then uh, what do they do? They like de-veganize him with their finger guns. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, they they strip him of his powers, and then by that point, as like a sad regular human, his hair falls flat. Yeah, it's all flat. It's not cool looking anymore. First he was vegan. Now you will nah, be gone. <laughs> That's he's stupid like, line. Gone, and then he gets. <laughs> he like headbutts he him, right? Yeah, yeah, he headbutts him into coins. That sounded like a line that like Roxy would say. Obviously, purposely done, but hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Thomas Jane. He was one of the vegan police. Yeah. So now I feel like around this time, Scott is getting a little bit more. Yeah, he's getting more serious about the exes. He wants to know more about them. I think that's when uh, he he asked her for the list of exes. It was actually after Roxy that he asked for the list. Because after Roxy, he's like, yeah, he's like, how many more do I have? And he's still talking about boyfriends and she keeps correcting him. She's like exes. Yeah. And he's like ex-boyfriends exes. Why do you keep saying that? And then as soon as he says that she so- shows up and like kicks him like right in the, the back of the head or something like the side of the head. I remember they, they have this little exchange and then in his head, the dial goes from like not getting it to finally getting it. Uh, I like how they did a couple different things. So they had like the little spinny wheel thing. It was going to like choose his response to the question. Right. And then, yeah, that one was like a little meter. He was going to say like, I have to, I have to go and I have to pee or something. And, and somehow it became, I have to pee out. I, I want to pee on her or something like that. It just gets all jumbled up. So yeah, Roxy Richter, she's the only girlfriend of Ramona. And you find out that she was just a college fling. Yeah. So he... She said she was a little uh, bi-curious, and then uh, Roxy says, well, I'm a little bi-furious. <laughs> and oh then she calls God. her a has-been, like a lesbian and a has-been. Roxy starts off, and she's you know she's there to kick Scott's ass, and she's angry at him. But then right after Roxy, or right after Ramona calls Roxy just a, a fling, she that's when I think Roxy gets offended, and she sets her targets on Ramona. So now it's this is a, an interesting one because it's like girl versus girl, and this is a pretty badass fight. Roxy busts out her little belt whip thing, and then Ramona pulls that giant hammer out of her tiny little crossbody bag. <laughs> I feel like it didn't start off as Scott versus Roxy because Scott had no intention of ever fighting her. So he didn't even think that like that was even going to be one of the stipulations. And then Roxy was like, sorry, but, you know, your 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 precious Scott has to fight me himself. He's like, I can't hit a girl. And Ramona's like, you don't have a choice. And so that's when she kind of like starts puppeteering him. I thought this was actually pretty cool and like well choreographed fight scene. Yeah. Because how complicated is this fighting? You know, it's like you got someone that's like just limp. She's like controlling him by the wrist and like she's like kicking his legs out to like kick yeah. Roxy. I thought it was really cool. Fight your own battles, you lazy ass. Yeah. And the way, how does he defeat this one? 
you know, she eventually uses her speed to like separate the two. With Scott singled out, she's actually going to get the the final blow on him. But Ramona reveals that Roxy has a weakness. She has an Achilles heel, which is actually more of like an Achilles knee pit. <laughs> if you touch her in the back of her knee, then she basically has an uncontrollable orgasm. So he, I think he like turns away and he like holds his finger out and like barely grazes her knee. Well, she's she's bringing her foot down to kick him. The coup de gras. He, he just puts his finger up. And so he touches her just in time at the back of the leg. And she has such an intense orgasm that she kills herself. (laughs) (laughs) She orgasms to death. Oh, man. Yeah. That's what I thought was so refreshing about all these exes is that the dynamic in which all the fights happen, they're all different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like he just does the same shit over and over to uh, each of the exes. So they all have a certain weakness that he has to exploit. Yeah, that's true. So that's when he asks for the list. He's he's drunk, he's pissed, and you know he's getting frustrated about having to fight all these random people that keep coming mm-hmm. after him. Mm-hmm. He starts saying some mean things to Ramona because he's a jerk. And she breaks and up And then with he him. asks for a list. No, she... I don't think she breaks up with him, but she's like, I'm going to go. And here's your stupid list. Mm, okay. Don't they also reveal that when she gives her number to Scott, she actually hinted that she has ec- evil exes because she, yeah, mar- she, she has like seven, seven marks. Exes. Yeah, I thought that was that was actually pretty cool, like foreshadowing. But yeah, I feel like my favorite exes, probably Lucas, Todd and Roxy. I do feel like it kind of slows down a bit after the Roxy fight, in my opinion. I do. I, honestly, I mean... You know, he he has to fight the twins at the same time. And the way they do it is actually part of the battle of the bands, right? Right. And so these twins are the Katayanagi twins. They're um, DJs, I guess. I think so, yeah. The dynamic of this fight is that Scott, along with the rest of Sex Bomb, have to defeat the twins. So these are Evil X's number five and six. Mm-hmm. And so they start playing in their music I don't know. It turns into these dragon monsters, mm-hmm. like a little spirit, almost sound dragon spirit monsters. And at first, they're, they're get, they get knocked back, but they're like, "No, we have to win." That's when Scott finds out that Gideon's in the audience with Ramona, and he's like, "No, we got to beat them." And so they get back up, and they start playing, and they create this music gorilla monster. So they have the the giant monsters, sound monsters, fighting over the audience in the middle, you know, between the two stages. And I thought that was really cool. Cool visual really for liked, sure. Yeah. And also with the Gideon part, they kind of refer to him as G-Man for most of the movie. So that this is where Scott finally puts two and two together. And he's like, G-Man is Gideon, which is yeah. uh, Ramona's uh, current boyfriend or whatever. Or like the her latest yeah, boyfriend. the latest ex. The one that she left New York for. Mm-hmm. That's when he's just like, oh, hell no. Yeah, we, we definitely have to win this. Yeah. This is almost like a kaiju battle. Exactly. Imagine if that was actually happening at the concert. Like there's some sort of laser show and you got like these monsters, like these titans That'd fighting. That would be great. That would be freaking great. So they win, which is awesome. And Ramona leaves with Gideon. Wallace is trying to tell him before that he needs to step it up. And if and if he's in love with her, tell her he's in love with her. Wallace is like, the L word? You say the L, tell her, use the L word. And he's like, lesbian? No, the other L word. 
lesbian. <laughs> Dude, Scott's such an idiot. I know. Scott's so dumb. So he goes to Ramona and that's when he finally tells her, I'm in lesbians with you. Yeah. And she's like, we need to break up, which is, you know, obviously a repeat of what he did to Knives. Damn. And he and she keeps saying, like, I can't I can't help myself around Gideon. He's in my head, you know, But you just you don't understand why. Mm, Yeah, exactly. And so Gideon comes around and he's like, I'm not such a bad guy. Here's a record deal. And Steven proceeds to um, pee himself and sign the contract. Dude, he sells out immediately, like no hesitation at all. No hesitation at all. Scott, he he's just like, no, we're not going to do this. And so he's like, I'm leaving the band if you guys are signed up. And they're like, cool. Young Neil just steps in. He's like, I can play bass. <laughs> and they all sign yep. together. Well, I mean, Lee Scott was kind of cool about it. Like, he's like, if this is what you guys want to do, I don't want to be a part of it. But you guys do what you want kind of thing. Yeah. So now um, in an effort to win Ramona back, Scott storms the ca- theater. Not the castle. Yeah. <laughs> he storms the theater. The chaos theater. His, uh, his club. Yeah. Guessing the right passwords just randomly. <laughs> what's the what's the first password? Whatever. What's the second password? <sighs> cool. <laughs> cool. So now we get to Evil X number seven, Gideon Graves, played by Jason Schwartzman. He kind of has like this like douchiness to him as well. Definitely. And I love Jason Schwartzman. He is he's in so much stuff and I see him freaking everywhere. Yeah. Playing all kinds of different characters, so this is probably one of the coolest characters he's played. This like arrogant, kind of egotistical person, but he's also someone that can back it up. Yeah. So who would have thought that you would ever see Michael Sarah in like a badass fight scene, you know? Much less like yeah. all throughout this movie. I wonder if he actually had to train martial arts or something for this movie. He probably had a team of stunt doubles. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. But I imagine like for the front shots, you know, he probably had to like oh, yeah. learn how to like punch and kick. They and probably stuff. all did. I mean, Ramona's badass too, you know, so mm-hmm. that must have been, it must have been real fun to shoot. You yeah. Know? Must have been a fun movie. As Scott is trying to challenge Gideon to a fight, uh, he actually has to get through some goons, but this is where he reveals that he is in love with Ramona and he unlocks the power of love sword <laughs> out of his chest, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a total game trope. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We forgot to mention where when he got the, the extra life. I don't actually remember when the heck it is that he gets the extra. That life. was after the twins fight. So after oh, okay. he defeated oh, because them, he defeated them at the same time. Or yeah, something? it was like such a high score that he got a, a one up. And so he oh, got okay. his extra life. He, I like how he grabs it out of the air like it's a tangible item. Yep. And it, it has his face from like the comics. It actually kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Ready Player One, which obviously came way after that. Yeah. After Scott gets the power of love sword, um, which is like a, a red sword, right? Or a pink yeah. sword. Um, so he starts ripping through all the goons, all, all of Gideon's goons with it. And it kind of reminded me of like Kill Bill where, you know, she's taking yeah, out like hundreds right. of guys. And so, yeah, he, he gets through them. And then eventually he gets to fight Gideon. So Gideon and Scott are kind of going at it. And at some point, the, the sword gets destroyed, right? Like it gets knocked out of his hands and like shatters. Is that is that before or after Knives shows up? It seems like she's going to fight Gideon, but then she turns her attention to Ramona. Yeah, and so they're fighting in the background while he, well, Scott and Gideon are fighting mm-hmm. in the foreground. And so you got these this double fight going on, which is cool. That's what happens. So Scott takes his attention off of Gideon. Like, I think he's he almost has him beat, but he wants to break up the, the girls' fight because he feels yeah, bad about and then, that. And then Gideon gets that cheap shot. Yeah, because he, he, Knives is like, 
you know, you stole him, you stole him, you stole him. And then, you know, uh, Ramona's like, I didn't steal anybody. I didn't steal him. Like, what are you talking about? It was such a shitty explanation because he's like, I didn't cheat on both of you. I, I only cheated, I cheated on knives. <laughs> she's like, what's the difference? And Ramona's like, what's the difference? And he's like, you weren't wronged. And then that's when Gideon stabs him from behind. Yeah, gets that cheap shot. That was a killing blow, and Scott is sent to his purgatory, which, is, which apparently desert, seems yeah. to be his mind, his desert mind. <laughs> but yeah, since Ramona had been through his mind before with her highway, she's able to go back and she almost like convince him to keep fighting, you know? Yeah. Emotionally, he's he's done. He's like, what's the point of fighting, you know? Uh, I, I won't be able to win. And so she uh, gives him almost like a, a morale boost and haps him back up and he forgets about his one up and up until then. So yeah, he ends up using his extra life. Mm-hmm. I was a little confused with the extra life though, because I felt like, why did he start so far back? Yeah. I didn't know why he started so far back either. I almost felt like he should have just started right where he died. Yeah. In a, a video game kind of trope. Maybe he started from his last save, which was like oh, all the way before he went to chaos theater. Yeah, that's true. This time when he is asked for the passwords, he just fucking wrecks everyone. Yeah, like, he ain't got time for that shit. And then he shows up and he's like, he, you know, he apologizes to Kim and he tells, to, he promotes young Neil to Neil. That's right. And, you know, he, he tells them that they're better off without him and that, that Neil sounds great and he's a good addition to the band. And, and so Gideon's like, you want to fight me for her? And he's like, no. I want to fight you for me. For me. And he gets the sword of self-respect. <laughs> so the sword of self-respect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was awesome. It turns out that you can also get a different kind of weapon. Yeah. Which seems equally as strong. Like, I, I feel like the one wasn't really stronger than the other. Yeah, I agree. So he has to go through the goons again with that. But um, now he gets to fight Gideon. You know, since he actually uh, told the truth to Knives and Ramona, he just like flat out confesses. He's like, listen, I I'm a piece of shit and I cheated on both of you. Yeah. And I'm sorry for that. And so she is like, you know what? Whatever. It's water under the bridge. And so they both uh, do like a two on one against Gideon. Yeah. I feel like people have such a, a strong need for closure when something ends. And, you know, this is where Knives got a little bit of hers, I guess, or. Yeah. This time around, um, instead of Scott kind of going one on one and them being evenly matched, um, they just fucking wreck Gideon. You know, they be- they yeah. beat his ass and they they're doing like double Back team moves. Back and forth, just yeah, nonstop. And this is where he's all glitching out and stuff. It's almost like, again going back to Twilight. It's almost like when Vampire's about to die and they crack like a porcelain doll almost. Yeah. One HP at this point. He's getting the, the flashing red in his health his, bar. His his glitchy rant is so good too. Doesn't he also complain about um swallowing his gum too? Yeah, you made me swallow my gum. It's going to be in my digestive tract for seven years. Which is totally a myth, by the way. <laughs> you poop it out like anything else. So yeah, they eventually get the final blow and uh, KO Gideon Graves. And he is no more. She is free of the evil exes. The League of Evil Exes. Until? Oh, shit. Bonus boss fight. Nega Scott. But he hears some whispering from Gideon's glasses and he picks it up. And Gideon's like, you think you're done? You're not done until you can defeat yourself. This is the secret weapon. He's all like dark looking and he has the red eyes. Yeah. 
Oh, he's uh, he's he's the negative version. Every time there's like a dark opposite of a character, they always seem to be like twice as strong for whatever reason. Yeah. Just more badass than their regular character. And stronger and yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Ramona, Ramona and Knives, you know, get into fighting stance and he's like, no, I got to do this myself. So then it cuts that, you know, cuts to Ramona and Knives outside. Literally right after. Scott is walking out with Nega Scott and they're just like chit chatting. Turns out he's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> he's a pretty cool dude. We they have, have a lot in common. <laughs> We're having brunch next next week or whatever. <laughs> so he defeats Nega Scott by just becoming friends with him. Yep. They like chat it out and they're like best friends now. I almost feel like that kind of shows you how self-centered Scott is, is that his best friend is himself. <laughs> or maybe it's that he's accepting. He's finally accepting himself. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's true. He's done fighting is what it is. Yeah. And he did accept himself, you know, because mm-hmm. he accepted the mistakes he's made and he's owned up to it, took responsibility for it. And, you know, he's 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 definitely getting somewhere. He's grown a lot, you know, internally. And then Nyes accepts that her relationship with Scott is is over. And so Ramona's I think she seems kind of traumatized by the whole experience of Scott having to go through all the exes. And she's kind of like, I've caused enough trouble. I'm just going to go disappear again. And so she starts walking off. And Knives is like, fool, you've been fighting for her, go get her, you know. I like that Knives was, in the end, you know, she she actually says, like, I'm too cool for you anyway. I like the fact that she's supportive of Scott's relationship with Ramona. Something about Scott, man, people just like to be his friend. So now she's his friend, too. He's very friendable. I guess. And so he's he goes over there and he's like, well, if you're going to disappear, can I come along? And she was pleasantly surprised. I think it's because when you're running it's it's kind of a lonely life yeah and it seems like nobody's ever offered to go with her you know offered to run with her so this time somebody actually is and through thick and thin at this point too he's kind of been through the worst of everything so if he can if he can withstand that survive all the exes and still be interested in her then uh i think that kind of proves to her that he's in it for the long haul and yet she was gonna leave you know, as confident as she came off, she was pretty self-conscious herself. Yeah. I think she kind of assumed that Scott was done with her and he he didn't yeah. want anything to do with her. And Scott is like, he's he's just been so stuck in this tiny bubble that I think he's ready to step outside in and kind of venture Definitely. out into the world. He, he's still, I mean, he's not like he's done growing. He's only, what, 22? Exactly. So... He's got a lot of life to live. Do they say how old Ramon is? Is she his age or is she younger? I think so. Around his age? Yeah, I think they're around the same age. Okay. Gotcha. So there you go. He also found someone that's more his age. It's more age appropriate and legal in the U.S. (laughs) Right. And Knives can uh, go live her life and, you know, date young Neil. Well, now Neil. Just Neil. Do you feel like they would make a good couple? Yeah. He seems like a nice nice He was always kind of into her from the beginning, too, you know. That is a wrap, folks. If you made it to the end of our podcast, then you now have to go out with each of Ramona's exes. Oh my goodness. Go out with them, not fight them? You have to date all of them, starting with Matthew Patel. And then you will have seven exes to fight your future. (laughs) (laughs) Any final thoughts or closing comments? Well, that's definitely a movie that I have loved since it came out. And it holds up. It holds up real well, I think. Did it live up to your expectations before you saw the movie? Definitely. 
Yeah, it was great. I loved it from the beginning. Like I walked out of that theater. You know, it's interesting because I mean, I don't know if it's just if it's Edgar Wright or what, but I walked out of that theater with the same feeling of satisfaction, I think, as the time that I walked out of Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, Baby Driver was such a satisfying movie to watch. That's good. Yeah, I I loved pretty much most of the movie. Um, Like I said, it did kind of slow down after the Roxy fight, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that I thought the ending was terrible or anything like that. I just felt like outdoing themselves with each ex that it was going to be hard to top those fights. And I mean, Lucas Lee was hilarious. That's actually hilarious. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, Todd Ingram was a badass. He was probably the most badass one out of all of them, honestly. Yeah. Um, And then Roxy, hilarious as well. That was cool because of Ramona actually having to fight for the first time. I like seeing Ramona fight. And, you know, as much as it was cringy to watch Matthew Patel, I liked that fight because that was like the only one that was like straight up just like a hand to hand combat type yeah, of fight you know up until true. he uses his powers at the very end um did you have any favorite moments in the movie my favorite well, i have two I, I told you already that my favorite line was when it was when uh, roxy says you know prepare to die obviously <laughs> and then the garlic bread yeah the the bread makes you fat um but the part where knives comes over and then scott jumps out the window and Wallace is like uh scott's not here you notice how he closes the door because he understands like, oh, shit. Yeah, he doesn't want Knives to know that he's here. So he, okay. he kind of like tries to like shut the door again. But he like flies out the window and then comes back for his jacket. It was just hilarious. And then runs behind Knives as she's talking to Wallace. Yeah, and she kind of like looks back like, OK. <laughs> and Kieran Culkin, man. You know, shout out to him. He was great in this movie. I know. Just I just I don't know. I, I'm just a big fan of the, those those Culkins. Apparently so. But um, before we head out, I actually introduced this new segment towards the end of the the show that I started with Michael, and it's recommendations. So I wanted to see if you had any recommendations for just anything that you watched recently that it doesn't necessarily need to have been released recently. Just anything that you kind of uh, are enjoying right now, you know, film or TV that you wanted to share. Well... I haven't actually gotten a chance to watch too much lately because I always end up like falling asleep in a chair with a baby or something like (laughs) that. But Andrew and I were recently able to watch Don't Worry Darling, which was interesting. And I actually liked it. You you liked it? I didn't think I didn't think it was my favorite movie, but I thought it was. Yeah, exactly. That's how I felt like I I enjoyed it. It it had an interesting story. Yeah. Florence Pugh, who's awesome and like everything, which is great. And um. So I guess on that note, Florence Pugh, if you haven't seen, if you've never seen Midsummer and you're into horrors and you see that one. Oh, it's, it, you know, what's funny is that nuts. Michael actually had that as a, his recommendation, Midsummer. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so you're also recommending. So it must be that damn good. It's pretty, it's, it's nuts. That movie is nuts. You should, you just need to watch it. Yeah. I think you, I think it'd be up your alley. I've seen it. I was the one oh, that yeah? introduced him to it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And how'd you, what'd you think of it? Oh, I, I thought it was great. I love those creepy A24 type of movies. So I I introduced yeah, that's true. Uh, Midsummer and Hereditary to Michael. That was the first Florence Pugh I, I think I've ever seen was Midsummer, And uh, she has a very distinct frown. I don't know if you noticed. That like distressed face she makes when she's like about to cry or whatever. Uh-huh. 
or she's in trouble or she's in danger. <laughs> and so when I saw her in a Black Widow, at first I didn't recognize her, and also, and then and then she does that frown at some point, like at the very beginning when she's, you know, trying to escape, and and I was like, oh, yeah, that's that girl from Midsummer, you know. And then I looked it up, and sure enough, it's Florence Pugh. Um, didn't know for a while that she's British, so I did. There's that. Um, um, did you did I ever send you that video of her talking about British dishes? Like she's just mm-hmm. like eating them as she's talking about them. Yes, it's really yes, interesting, yeah. right? It is. Yeah, listening to her, and she's like dressed her, up in the whole getup and, and everything. I know it's great. It was a good. It was a good video. Um, the other thing, the other show that I really like is like my favorite favorite show of last year. I think was Ted Lasso. So nice. If you know anybody with Apple Plus and you haven't watched that show yet, definitely do it. Uh, can you tell us a, just a little bit about what it's about, if people don't already know? It's a comedy about a, an American football coach that moves to London, moves to England, and he starts coaching soccer. Football. <laughs> yes, f- football out there. Um, he, you know, a lot of stuff happens and... Just from that premise, I was like, oh, you know, sports show, I'm not going to be into it. But it's definitely not so much about the sports. Like, sometimes they don't even show, you know, the soccer games or whatever. Who, who's the main character? Um, What's his face? I'll, I keep thinking Ed Helms for whatever no. reason. Jason Sudeikis. Ah, oh, that's who it is. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a real good show. And it's hilarious. Okay. Um, I also have a couple recommendations I would like to share. Sure. So recently, uh, Brenda and I saw two movies in theaters. We saw The Whale with Brendan Fraser. Oh. This is the drama where he got like a standing ovation at the film festival. And holy crap, man. I was, I've never been a huge Brendan Fraser fan. Like really? he, he was great in uh, the Mummy movies and whatnot, but I never really felt like he was one of my favorite actors, but man, yeah. he did fucking excellent in The Whale. And without giving anything away, it's basically about like a house ridden, heavy set guy. Overweight dude, yeah. Yeah. And he, so he can't really leave the house. And it's just kind of showing like the struggles that he goes through health wise and kind of uh, personally with relationships, friendships, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's pretty sad, but yeah. highly recommend. And I also saw Avatar The Way of Water. I actually hear it's really good. It's good. It so I was one of the few apparently that actually liked the first one. The first one's good, but it's lately just... people are hating on Avatar, but I thought it was it was great. Like Yeah, I thought it was good. I just didn't I wasn't aware that people wanted more Avatar. So I was one of the ones that also said that Avatar One did not need a sequel. I loved the way that they ended it. Yeah. And the second one, it's kind of more of the same. It has very similar very similar plot lines, but man, the the advancements in CGI are amazing. They're mind blowing. Actually We saw in three D. Andrew was telling me that you have to see it in, you know, like IMAX or whatever, and that they switch frame rates back and forth through the movie. Oh, do they? So that's like the new thing. You know, like back then when the first Avatar came out, three D movies that you know that technology in 3d movies was new Mm -hmm. and now the new thing that this avatar is introducing is frame rate switching so so what does that feel like or what does that do well i guess it's for some people like makes them sick or something like that like you can't really distinguish that something different is going on but it makes you feel weird because the the frame rate is a lot faster i believe yeah it's a lot faster they purposely make you try to feel sick 
Like I no no, it's not like that, but it's just like a kind of a surreal. Oh, interesting. I didn't notice that myself. Yeah, so I guess like the parts in the water or something like that, they do at a higher frame rate. So I Andrew was telling me that um he only does it sometimes at first and kind of slowly acclimates you to it as the movie goes on and does it more and more as the movie goes on. So So it looks smoother and smoother, okay. I guess, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a, a extremely solid movie, and if you even remotely like the first one, I I recommend the second one. It's it's such a gorgeous movie. It. If nothing else, just go see it for how beautiful the water looks. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I definitely want to see it. Afflictionados is available on all of those fancy streaming services you folks like to use. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, five a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, go ahead and leave us a nice review. It'll be much appreciated. And again, thank you so much to listeners out there for joining Stephanie and I. This has been Afflictionados Podcast Episode 21, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and we'll see you all next time. Yeah. Me <laughs> <laughs> for ice cream. Ice yeah. Cream.